Welcome to All Fired Up. I'm Louise, your host, and this is the podcast where we talk all things anti-diet. Has diet culture got you in a fit of rage? Is the injustice of the beauty ideal getting your knickers in a twist? Does Fitspo make you want a Spitspo? Are you ready to hurl if you hear one more weight loss tip? Are you ready to be mad, loud and proud? Well, you've come to the right place. Let's get all fired up. Hello and welcome back for another episode of All Fired Up. I am seriously fired up about this episode and it's probably one of the most important topics that we're going to cover and I'm very passionate about it. So thank you for tuning in Uh, and thank you everyone for listening and loving the show and for all of your wonderful feedback that I get via email and uh, Instagram messages. So just thank you because your support means a lot to me. And of course, if you are loving the show, please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode when it pops out. So just subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. And if you're feeling in a particularly generous mood, you can rate and review us with a nice five stars so we can get this anti-diet message out to more and more people and help diet culture to crumble. So we talk a lot about diet culture and its impact on people here on All Fired Up. And there are many things that are wrong with diet culture. But every now and again, something comes along that really just highlights what is wrong with weight bias and just how far we're willing to go to sacrifice the mental health and physical health of people in this never-ending quest for thinness. So here in Australia, there is a weight loss experiment that is being conducted out of two children's hospitals, one in Sydney and one in Melbourne, and it's called the Fast Track to Health trial. And what that actually involves is starving teenagers for 12 months and comparing a really very low calorie diet condition with what they call a standard calorie diet condition. The fast track is really reflective of our current obsession with fasting or intermittent fasting for weight loss, which, you know, as we know, and we've covered in previous episodes, has been shown to be no more effective than any other weight loss diet, certainly in the long term, uh, in that when you do an intermittent fasting diet, you do lose a little bit of weight to begin with, and then that weight comes all the way back on within that standard period of somewhere between six months to two years. So intermittent fasting really is no different to any other weight loss diet but you wouldn't know it to look at diet culture because it seems to be the new black and everybody is pinning a lot of hope on on this really extraordinarily restrictive diet. So the Fast Track to Health trial is subjecting teenage kids aged 12 to 17 to an intermittent fast, which means three days of the week, those kids are going to be told to ingest less than 700 calories a day for three days of the week for an entire year. That is the calorie needs for a baby, less than that, right? And these are teenage bodies. These are kids who need to be going to school, who need to be going through puberty, who need to be going through a growth spurt and being subjected to conditions of semi-starvation for 12 months. When I heard about this trial um, sort of mid-last year, I was horrified and I 
managed to write an, a complaint to the ethics committee who had approved this trial. And just on the basis of, you know, evidence, i.e. there's no evidence in the long term for intermittent fasting showing any different results to any other kind of weight loss diet. And two, the main concern is the risk to adolescents of development of an eating disorder. I know, and the research shows extremely clearly, that dieting in adolescents is extremely risky and the more starvation this adolescent endures, the, the more dangerous it is. So the stricter the diet, the higher the risk. And we absolutely know that. And we, in the eating disorders world, spend so much time trying to protect kids from developing an eating disorder. And a lot of the health messaging that we're trying to get out to teenage kids is to enjoy your body and allow its growth and to not focus on diets and weight loss, but on developing, you know, a lovely relationship with food. So this diet really, this diet experiment flies in the face of all known advice to kids in this age group and of course it's being justified on the basis of well these are fat kids you know these are kids in larger bodies they quote unquote need to lose weight quote unquote for their health and so suddenly something that's extremely dangerous for any adolescent is okay if your BMI is above a certain number so I lodged an ethics complaint, as I said, to the committee who approved the trial. And it wasn't just lodged by me. I had 29 other health professionals co-sign and we were calling for this to be stopped. And um, we lodged that complaint late last year uh, and received a rejection. So the thrust of their argument was that, look, in the vague hope that these kids might lose a little bit of weight temporarily, we don't believe that that risk is anything worth worrying about. Extraordinary response when it is, that is, as I said, just flies in the face of all of the evidence that we know of. So I uh, started a petition on change.org called Stop the Fast Track Trial. I was hoping to raise a bit of awareness of um, what was happening and to get people to express their outrage and their feelings about this trial. And that petition really went viral and we have 20,000 signatures supporting this call for the trial to be stopped. And I think this is unprecedented. I don't think a weight loss experiment has ever had this level of protest from the community, from people who have had eating disorders, and from people who are health professionals aware of the risks. So this petition was, you know, extraordinary in raising awareness and protest. And what followed was a slew of other complaints to the Ethics Committee, arranged by groups of health professionals, arranged by survivors of people with eating disorders. It really was, I mean, I'm, I'm aware of over 60 individual or group complaints that have been lodged to this ethics committee. So a huge response. And unfortunately, all of the complaints have been met with uh, justifications from the ethics committee. They think it's worthwhile. They think the risks are low and quote unquote manageable, which is an extraordinary statement when you think about the severity of eating disorders once they hit. Anyone who works with kids with eating disorders, adolescents with eating disorders, understands that once someone is unwell, they get unwell very quickly. And it's very difficult to treat an eating disorder once it has appeared. There's no such thing as minimal risk when you put someone on a crash diet. And there's no such thing as manageable risk when you look at an adolescent with 
an eating disorder because it's a horrible way to live. So the fast track researchers have been quite, I think, taken aback by the strength and veracity of this protest, but have pretty much stuck to their guns with this idea that what they're doing is a good idea and that it's safe. And in fact, uh, Dr. Louise Bauer, who is leading the fast track trial experiment, has been quoted as saying that she has not she is not aware of any studies of hospital-based weight loss programs for adolescents which show evidence of harm, So, which is a very reductionist way of looking at the enormous body of research on eating disorder development longitudinally. So what we know from longitudinal research is that every single adolescent with an eating disorder has a history of dieting and, and body dissatisfaction. And I think that argument of saying, well, look, it doesn't happen on our watch is quite irresponsible. It's kind of like looking at the data on we know that cigarette smoking causes lung cancer and then the company kind of saying, well, look, it wasn't our packet of cigarettes that has caused your lung cancer and we've never seen a study that proves that it was our cigarettes that gave you lung cancer. Thankfully, due to all of the attention and that this petition has raised, um, we have had a number of uh, eating disorder organisations, both here in Australia and around the world, who have put up position statements asking for that trial to be stopped. And we have had a lot of media articles written, uh, some some reflective of, of the concerns of the eating disorder community and some fairly weight-biased articles which seem to centre the quote-unquote need for weight loss above and beyond any kind of risk to mental and physical health for these teens. So we're not really getting anywhere in terms of stopping the fast-track trial. And our concern is that the parents and the teenagers are not being adequately informed of the risks and dangers and of the research in this area. So what we've done is started a website which we hope will raise awareness and give parents and teenagers who might be considering taking part in the trial or who might have already been recruited to the trial. So we've put together some information on this website to paint the picture of why this concern is so widespread and what the data is really showing about weight loss efficacy in the, in the long term for teens, particularly with intermittent fasting and, um, of course, the risk of eating disorders. That web address is www.fasttracktrial.com.au. I really encourage everybody to go and visit that website because there's a lot of information there and to share it and to try to get it across the eyes of anyone who might be encouraged to take part in this trial because I'm a big believer in informed consent and I don't believe that the gravity of the risk nor the efficacy of the intervention is, is really being adequately shared right now. One of the parts of the site which is really important and I think is being overlooked by the fast track researchers are the stories of people who have lived through this experience of medically supervised dieting as a teenager and how their eating disorder developed from there. Now, according to the fast track team, this doesn't happen. But we have many stories, certainly from the petition and from my own clinical experience. And now 
we put them on the website, the stories of people that this actually did happen to and these stories need to be heard and they need to be heeded. So today we are really lucky to have someone who has suffered through a eating disorder that was directly caused by a paediatric obesity intervention. Her name is Emma Hagen and she has been just extraordinarily brave in in coming forward. She's still in treatment for her eating disorder many years later. So she's not in full recovery. And this this whole thing has been very stressful for her to hear about how these kinds of things can continue going and the risk can be ignored when actually it was her lived experience of being in a paediatric obesity treatment program that quickly uh, spiralled into a pretty terrible eating disorder. So it's very important to hear these stories, even though they're difficult to hear. And I'm just, uh, I'm just so impressed with Emma's ability to get her points across and discuss what is very painful, but very important in, in just such a wonderful way. So please, I would like everyone to listen to this story. And of course, if anyone is listening who has a history of eating disorder themselves, this could be triggering because Emma does talk in detail about the eating disorder development and some of the symptoms. So please look after yourself. And if you think that this might be too triggering to listen, give this one a miss. But um, without further ado, I'm going to give you me and Emma. So Emma, thank you so, so much for coming on and talking about this. No worries. It's a pleasure. So tell me, what is firing you up about all of this? Uh, Well, obviously, first off, the trial itself, I think, and the way it's been, I'd say, misrepresented in the media. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's been awareness of the risks, but I think the wholesome stories of weight loss have sort of overshadowed it. Right. Yeah. And you have personal experience with that, right? Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Yeah. Because that's how, that's how I got to know you. There was a media story that's just been released about the fast track trial and the protest that's been going on. And you were featured in that article, which was fantastic because like, this is all about your story. Like this whole, the whole, all of these concerns about the fast track trial are about what happened to you. So it's really good that your story got out in the media. But like you said, it seems to be being overshadowed by the quote unquote importance of weight loss in children, which is just ridiculous. It is. So, so we'll talk about all of that. So how did you find out about the fast track trial? Um, Through Instagram actually. So it was back in February when I think it first came into the media presence. And I was actually on the train today program. And I think I stumbled upon a story by you. Yeah. Your untracked Instagram page. And I was horrified because I, I hadn't heard of it before. Mm. So yeah, it really struck a chord with me. And I remember I went to day program and I talked about it in group and nobody had heard of it because yeah. I guess because it's just so unbelievable. Like I honestly baffled me that it passed ethics. Yeah, I think that was something that most people, when they found out about the trial, like baffled is how did how did this get past ethics is like the yeah. first question. Yeah, because it's so extreme and so prolonged and, and yeah. the, the target age of kids is so high risk. Absolutely. And it's, it really, 
ignores or dismisses the individual stories because I'm sure I'm not the only one out there who has gone through a weight loss process and developed an eating disorder because of it. Yeah, yeah. No, well, that's the whole point of this protest. You are very much not the only one, sadly. Would it be okay for you to tell us what, what happened to you? Yeah. So I grew up in a bigger body and as often happens, kids are pretty cruel and I got a lot of bullying because of it. So at the age of 10, I practically begged my parents to um, help me lose some weight. Yeah. Which at the time seemed like a matter of self-preservation really because I was just sick of being picked on for being bigger. Yeah, of course. It makes sense, doesn't it, that you want to change that? Yeah. So my parents were very aware of how precarious dieting can be, so they wanted to do it in a safe way. So I went to a, um, I think it was a childhood obesity clinic and got in contact with a paediatrician there in order to facilitate like a safe weight loss program for me. Yeah. So they, I mean... You're doing all the right things, you know, they're trying to do it absolutely safely. Yeah. So I went along and I'd get weighed and I got given a list of safe and unsafe foods. So really early on, it really instilled the sort of dichotomy of like weight loss is good, weight gain is bad. And even down to the morality of food, like good and bad foods, that really stuck. Yeah, of course. You're 10 years old. Oh my God. Yeah. And I think... One thing that the trial ignores is the fact that it's really hard to lose weight when you're at school with your friends, when you're trying to experience life at the same time. Like, it's just not conducive to weight loss if you want to be social and to just enjoy being a 10-year-old, for example. Yeah, it must have been so isolating for you. Yeah, yeah. Like, I over the Christmas period, I obviously enjoyed, because I love, I loved food, and I enjoyed eating with my family and going to parties with my friends. And of course, when you're 10, it's not really like an alcohol fueled party. It's a food fueled party. (laughs) Yeah. So I did gain some weight over that period of time. And I went back to the clinic and got lambasted for it, basically. Like it, yeah, it was quite, pardon the pun, but quite a heavy process because I, yeah, I'd had a good few months socially, but coming back, and getting weighed, it all sort of fell back onto the number. Oh, that's um, awful. That is just uh, just on my blood's boiling on your behalf. Yeah. So that really pushed me forward to um, increase my exercise, to decrease my food intake. So I would do a certain amount of sit-ups every night, and that sort of thing. It became very obsessive. Yeah. And, yeah, it got to the point where I had lost enough weight and I was told to stop by the pediatrician. But by then, the mentality of losing weight is a good thing and needs to continue had very much stuck. Right. Well, they, that's what they taught you. They had taught you restriction. Yeah, exactly. It was, it, it's not as extreme as what they're suggesting in the fast track trial. Which right. That says a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it really concerns me because I was calorically I was probably eating more than these kids are going to be eating and I still developed an eating disorder like it oh it's it's just it's horrendous yeah how quickly or you know at what sort of um time frame did this happen to you uh so I went to the pediatrician when I was 10 
And then by the following year and around, I think it was August, I was diagnosed with anorexia. And then I spent a few months in hospital with a feeding tube and yeah, it was quite institutionalized for a while there. Oh God, you, I'm so sorry. It's just the worst experience. Yeah. Yeah. So you got very sick and you were hospitalized. Yeah. And you know, eating disorders just take your childhood. Absolutely. And I think at 11, there's a whole culture to eating disorders, which I was very fortunate to not be a part of when I was that age because my parents refused to allow me to be in the adolescent unit. So I didn't absorb as much of the disorderedness that I could have. Yeah. But in future years, I definitely did because my hospitalizations didn't really stop at 11. So yeah, it had dieting in itself had a prolonged effect on my development. Yeah. Yeah. Like enormous impact and um obviously it was quite difficult to treat and and if you said look you know I heard about the fast track trial on the way to day program then you're still dealing with it right yeah yeah how old are you now I'm 24 24 so wow and what did you think at the time about the connection between dieting or trying to lose weight and getting sick like that I think I blamed myself a lot that I had done the wrong thing, that I had taken it too far and that it was a reflection on my character. I didn't really, I wasn't cognizant at the time of diet culture or health at every size or anything like that. Like it was very much, I was overweight. I needed to lose weight. I did, but I took it too far. Right. Wow. So you blamed yourself. Absolutely. And not the diet or not, not the, not the whole, you know, childhood obesity clinic idea. <laughs> no, the, um, the pediatrician did visit me in hospital and pretty much alluded to the fact that it was my fault. Um, well, I'm, so, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was something that stuck with me for a long time. Yeah. I think, I think she was surprised that a diet could lead to an eating disorder. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm just, um, trying to contain myself like so you're a child and you're in a hospital bed suffering extremely with an eating disorder and the pediatrician comes to visit you and tells you it's your fault yeah yeah which in retrospect was unfair (laughs) but at the time it made sense to me because I didn't I was 11 I didn't really know what anorexia nervosa was to be honest I just thought it was a diet and that I just didn't want to eat and so when I got to hospital I just didn't eat because that's what I thought I had to do. Yeah, yeah. I didn't really know the ins and outs of a disorder and the way it takes over your life and everything like that. I was very ignorant to that. No. Well, it's it's very concerning, isn't it? Because one of the, um, well, one of the often repeated messages that we're getting from Louise Bauer, who's running the Fast Track trial, is that the eating disorder risk is minimal and manageable. Yeah. What do you think of that? I think it's very dismissive. I think the idea of managing an eating disorder, idealistic, (laughs) because eating disorders aren't simply managed. They have their own life. They are obsessive. They're possessive. They're not able to just be placated by a professional. Right. And I think saying anything else is, yeah, optimistic at best. I think... For me, at least, like a 
professional oversight did not prevent an eating disorder from occurring. And over the past 13 years, I've been very privileged with my treating team, but it's only been the past six months that I've been able to embrace recovery and want to get better. And I think that's the thing about eating disorders. It takes a lot of personal drive to be able to get over them. Um, It does. Yeah. And it's just, you know, 13 years is a hell of a long time. Yeah. And I am, I'm so glad to hear that you're feeling closer to recovery and that your team is behind you and you've got all this support and help. And yeah, I'm, I'm very lucky. I've got an amazing psychiatrist, psychologist, dietitian. Um, my family is, they've been through it all because oh. disorder isn't just one person. It affects the whole family. Of course, yeah, it does. It, like you said, it's, it's massive. Yeah. And so thank you too for speaking up against the fast track trial when, you know, you've got so much to deal with yourself. And I wish, I wish this didn't have to be the case that, that people actually have to put their hands up and say, actually, this did happen to me. Please stop ignoring me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's concerning in this day and age that it even has to be talked about. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like it's, to me, it seems pretty obvious that starvation even if it's clinically approved <laughs> will it lead to an eating disorder <laughs> it's not rocket science I know yeah but but there's a real um there's a definite push at the moment to erase the reality of stories like yours and yeah. in fact the fast track train went to New York to the international conference on eating disorders and presented research to show that hospital-based obesity treatment programs for teenagers and kids did not show any development of eating disorders and were safe and were actually beneficial. I don't see where they're getting their data from. That's a really good point. Actually, the the paper hasn't been released yet and I am waiting with bated breath, believe (laughs) me, because I know I have been doing a few blogs about the quality of their research and how often their conclusions don't match their data. Yeah. I've read a bit of your blog and I've done a little bit of research and it's terrifying that they've done past research and it hasn't shown any correlation to benefit for people in bigger bodies. And yet they're still continuing with a trial that is so precarious. Yeah, it's, you know, I, I, do, I do wonder when, the, um, when is the pushback really going to start because there's so much evidence that this is damaging. Yeah. And you know, I think, I really do think in a few years' time we'll start see, uh, seeing legal cases being raised, class actions being taken. By, and I hope that does happen because, yeah. for example, your family should be compensated for the harm done mm. in that. It's, it's just outrageous. So you were approached by, you spoke to a journalist, Melissa Cunningham, about your experience and she's the health reporter from the Age newspaper. Yeah. And then the article came out. <laughs> <laughs> Which is really shit. There's no other word I can use to describe that article. Yeah. Honestly, the the whole experience was quite illuminating for me. So I did send this reporter an email after the article was released um, thanking her because I did, through the process, through being, for example, through being told that one day I was getting my photo taken and then it didn't happen, so I had to wait until another day, I think I emailed you and I was very despondent and very sure that it was my 
fault that the article wasn't going ahead. Like I wasn't anorexic enough, for example. Oh, wow. So the whole process really made me realize how insecure I am about my own illness and how, yeah, how I feel like a fraud for not being at a certain weight now or anything like that. And I think that's indicative of how eating disorders work. Yeah. But yeah, reading the article, I was genuinely surprised. I started reading it. I'd woken up. I was on my phone. I found the article and I was just left wondering once I read the first few sentences, whether it was actually the article that I'd brought to her attention. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I was a bit like, oh, maybe she's doing another article. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, she's really enthused. (laughs) But then I got to about the middle of the article and there I was. Yeah, it was you were popped into the middle like an extra, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was a bit of a token anorexic, I think. Oh, so the whole article opens with a concerned father of a 14-year-old girl. Yeah. Who it's reported is a very active girl, always been very active, but compares herself to her sister who is quote-unquote rake thin. And so her dad thinks it's a good idea to take her along um, and enrol her in the fast track study. So that made me stop because this study is supposed to be for adolescents who have health problems as well as being heavy. Yeah. No indication that this girl had anything wrong with her health. But yeah, there was basically huge amounts of gush about how happy this 14-year-old girl is from losing X amount of kilos in eight weeks. Yeah. And how much better her life is. And then your story was popped in the middle. Yeah. And along alongside, you know, me, like some clinical psychologist just has a concern about this, you know. <laughs> yeah, it made it sound very isolated. Yeah, it didn't mention the petition. It didn't mention the number of complaints. No, it didn't mention the Butterfly Foundation or even the sort of Victoria. No, it didn't mention the, the gravity of the pushback or the evidence that this is based on. But I really felt for you in smushed into the middle. I was very confused for a few days after that because I had varying opinions from people I know about the article. I had people contacting me to ask whether I was okay. I had people saying that it was just the way journalism goes. So it took me a few days to come up with my own opinion of it I think just because I am very insecure in yeah in my own perspective of things and I think that comes from years of having an eating disorder and not being able to trust my reality at times yeah that's that makes sense yeah I did message the reporter probably I think it was the day after just providing her with some frank feedback because I was aware that editing does happen when it comes to news articles and it may be the case that she did present all the quotes that she said she was going to present and it just got edited out. Still, I was a little frustrated that she didn't fight for it a little more. My argument was completely washed by diet culture, I think. It's really horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not even, it's not your argument, it's your story, it's your truth. Yeah. Being erased by the importance of temporary weight loss. Yeah, and that's that's the thing, it's temporary. It doesn't work long term. Yeah, yeah. So here's your opportunity to say everything (laughs) you want to say. (laughs) 
Because <laughs> here there will be no editing. Yeah. Are there things that you wanted to put out there that she didn't put in? I think I really want to emphasise the gravity of the situation in that the trial will work in the short term. Mm-hmm. We'll lose some weight. And because it's only a year-long trial, it doesn't really, it's not longitudinal enough to determine the actual effects of clinically approved starvation. Absolutely. So they're not getting, well, I developed an eating disorder less than a year. So they could get evidence that eating disorders do develop, but sometimes they take longer to entrench. So I think the fact that there will be weight loss shows that the trial will be deemed an objective success. Oh, they're good at doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, It's skewing results for sure. Mm. And I think because it will be deemed an objective success, it will be applied to the wider population. Oh, it's terrifying. It is. It's genuinely terrifying because there are so many vulnerable people out there. Like everyone in this day and age is vulnerable to diet culture, whether it's subconsciously or consciously. Like it's hard to fight back. It's hard to instill the ideas of health at every size. Yeah. And I think this trial will take people's steps backwards from body acceptance. Oh, uh, well, it's the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. There is no good outcome from running this trial. So if they find, you know, like you said, objective success, you know, in their definition, which is temporary small weight loss, Yeah. then that opens the door to roll this starvation out to more and more adolescents across the country. Exactly. It won't just be 186 kids. It will be thousands. I can't even conceive of that. And if it if it quote unquote doesn't work, right? If they if they find evidence of eating disorder development, then that means these kids have been used as guinea pigs when we have raised the alarm. Exactly. It's not easy to unentrench an eating disorder. (laughs) Well, you are living proof of that, right? Like I get the researchers might say that if they catch it early enough, it'll be good. I have never seen that <laughs> in my research. Because <laughs> you were caught early, right? You were caught as it happened. They caused it. Yeah. And I think, yeah, like even at 11, I wasn't exposed to the disordered realm of an adolescent eating disorder program, which can be really insidious. And mm. Even despite that, I still went on to engage in eating disorder behaviours and lose weight and then get hospitalised again. And it's just a cycle that goes on for years. Oh, my God. It's just, it doesn't bear thinking about, but I'm so glad that we get this chance to have a talk about it because, and I guess I can't put myself in a headspace where if I was a journalist and I heard your story, that I would then decide to a temporary five kilo weight loss from a kid who has nothing wrong with her as like the preference. And I think that speaks to weight bias and the magnitude of weight bias in our culture is is dreadful. I think the reporter had the right intention at the start, but I think probably the further she looked into it, the further she was influenced by diet culture and especially fat phobia, I think. I think that's a kind way of looking at it. I think she was just weight biased. (laughs) (laughs) 
and it's unexamined. And this is like, there's such a danger with unexamined weight bias. Yeah. You know, we've got unexamined weight bias in the clinic itself, in the researchers themselves, in the media reporting, in the politicians that we're appealing to, in the NH and MRC that we're appealing to. It's like weight bias impacts everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. So we have a pretty significant thing to undo. But I just, I really wanted to say thank you for, for speaking up about this because your story is so important. Look, and I, I hope your recovery continues to grow and that you can, you can put this eating disorder back in the corner. Yeah, I'm probably the best place I've been in about 13 years, so it's, it's going well. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that, Emma. You are amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so incredibly much, Emma, for coming on the show and really bearing your soul and your experience to everybody listening. And I just commend you on your integrity and your recovery. And I just wish you absolutely all the best. And thank you again for, for sharing because it's an important story. And as we've all heard, this story really did happen. This is not something that is minimal or manageable. Eating disorder risk is real. And as we have heard, the, the harrowing reality of an eating disorder is that it overtakes people's lives. And if we know that dieting is the number one risk factor in adolescence that can trigger an eating disorder, then we need to listen to that data we need to listen to the voices of the people who have signed the petition and bravely come forward and spoken to the media. And those voices need to be centred above this temporary small amount of weight loss that diet culture is so obsessed about. I urge you, if you are a parent or a teenager or friends with parents and teenagers who are being targeted for this trial or thinking about enrolling, to visit the website www.fasttracktrial.com.au where we have a whole stack of comprehensive information about the risks involved and the research that underpins that risk and the research that underpins the um, inefficacy of long-term weight loss that is likely to happen from interventions like this. And the website also has more personal stories like Emma. Uh, it has, uh, it's documenting all of the complaints and all of the responses that we have from the Fast Track team and elsewhere so far. So there's a lot of information that's really good to know about because this is all about informed consent and being really across the, the broad amount of knowledge that you need to have in order to make an informed decision about this. I mean, in, in my view, in 2019, you know, we are 70 years down in terms of weight loss diet research, which has proven again and again to show the same thing, minimal weight loss followed by weight regain and metabolic slowing. This is a scientific reality. And I think in 2019, doing studies, weight loss research, like the Fast Track to Health trial is really regressive. And I think we need to evolve. We really need to take the protest and the pushback against this trial as evidence of where we're beginning to stand on weight loss research itself. We really need to make some significant changes in how we're approaching the science of looking at shrinking bodies. 
and big changes need to occur. We simply can't do the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. And there are safe alternatives to help out your teenager if you are worried about them being in a larger body or if you're worried about health issues that are happening for them. Believe it or not, there are ways of helping these kids without focusing on changing their bodies. Non-diet approaches to health help people learn really wonderful and lasting sustainable health behaviours that are not to do with starvation. So I'm talking about skills. This is about skill building in things like intuitive eating and regular eating and family-based meals and introducing variety, enjoyment, noticing hunger and satisfaction cues and taking pride and joy in body diversity. And also looking at ways to increase joyful and sustainable movement because, you know, one of the best ways to look after your cardiovascular or metabolic health is to um, have an active lifestyle and to really do that not in the pursuit of weight loss, in the joy of uh, movement and as far as it's possible and accessible to you, just feeling how it feels to move your body for joy. There are many health professionals that you can turn to to help you if you're worried about your teen. I would very strongly advise checking out the Hayes Australia website. So that's H-A-E-S australia.org.au. On that website, there is a whole stack of health professionals who specialise in helping people approach their health and their health behaviours in a non-weight focused way. So pop along to that and get some alternative advice that will not put your child at risk of an eating disorder. There's another fantastic website called uh, the Ellen Satter Institute. Ellen spelt E-L-L-Y-N, ellensatterinstitute.org. Uh, Ellen is a dietitian who is renowned for helping families uh, build up their relationship with food in joyful and health-supportive ways without focusing, once again, on weight. So go along to that. There is a whole world of information out there on how best to support our adolescents without starving them. So if you've heard today's episode and you're a little bit fired up about everything that's going on, uh, and particularly about the Fast Track Trial, consider joining our Facebook group, which is called Stop the Fast Track Trial. Just uh, put it into the Facebook search term and click on Ask to Join and we will join you up. There are hundreds of people in that group who were galvanised by the petition and who joined. There are many health professionals. There are many people there with lived experience and uh, people there are doing a huge array of, of different things, all designed to push back against how weight science is currently approaching adolescents and adolescent research and really trying to push for positive change for everybody. So that brings us to the end of today's show and I really thank you again for having a listen. I'm going to be back in a couple of weeks with part two of the Fast Track chapter. I'm going to come back and talk about the Fast Track pilot study. So this is uh, kind of like the, the practice study that they have just published and all of the results I will be going through and letting you guys know about. 
because it's quite an interesting read. And once again, I believe that if you are going to enroll your child or think about enrolling your child in this kind of study, we really need to understand the underpinnings and the likely results. So that will be back in a couple of weeks. I'll be there with an interview, unpicking the fast track pilot. I really look forward to that episode. Until then, trust no one, think critically, push back against diet culture. Untrap from the crap. Thank you.